Welcome to Mastering Agility. If you want to listen to authentic conversations with the most inspiring guests, find like-minded people in the Mastering Agility Discord community or both online and face-to-face events, this is the platform for you. Grab a drink, sit back, and join professional scrum trainers Sandra Dorr, Jim Sammons, and their guests in an all-new episode. Morning, buddy. Good morning. How are you doing? I'm tired, but doing well How overall. Come? The coffee will kick in soon. How come? Why am I tired? tired? Yeah. Well, I mean, it was a long weekend. Um, good, good stuff. A lot of travel recently. Um, we went to a big board game convention up in Columbus, Ohio this last weekend. So that was Friday and Saturday. Uh, that was fun, but, you know, exhausting. And then bundled some family time with, around that. And then Sunday was uh, skydiving. So, you know, it's tiring. You're still flying. here, so I'm assuming it was successful. It was successful. I'm here. And, uh, yeah, no, it was good. A lot, of, a lot of good stuff happened. Just It's one of those weekends where my weekend needs a weekend, right? <laughs> yeah. Hopefully not take not taking too long. How about you? I know you got into some some pa- family stuff. Any anything to note over the weekend, dude? I'm gonna open up a window here, and that's kind of related to it. For those who don't know, I record this stuff from my attic, and my attic tends to get warm, like everyone's attic, especially with a heat wave going on. Now today is not that bad, but I went to this birthday. That's about an hour away, a little bit more, and I went with a drink. I took a drink since. The first time since forever. Now, I had three broken trains. All of them had no work in air conditioning. <laughs> and they, they just decided to not continue. Mm. And it was over 100 degrees outside. So you can imagine how the inside of a train is without an air conditioning. Wow. That kind of sums up the weekend. Is that normal? Like to have... No air conditioning on a on a train like that. No. Okay. So the they that that's what the, uh, the the guy said as well. It's like it's it's unjustified for us to continue. It's like it's not okay. People are going to faint if we keep keep going. So, but that happened three times. So a trip of an hour it took me over three hours to get there, and I was there. My my wife already went ahead with the kids, and uh, because I had to stay a little bit longer at home um, because of our dog. Obviously, he cannot go with with the heat. He can also not stay for too long by himself. So I figured, well, I'll just come later and we'll take your car back so we don't have to drive two cars. That makes no sense. Mm. So I was there. I arrived there. And half an hour later, I could go again. Mm. So how does it make you feel when you think you're doing something really smart and thoughtful and like strategic and it turns out to be terrible? Uh, it depends. Because the answer depends on what kind of equipment I've got with me. Because this time I took my tablet and then I was watching Creed, you know, the the successor of Rocky, those those movies. Um, or if I would have a book, then it's okay. If I would have to twist my thumbs and be bored, oh, then it's horrible. Yeah. Yeah. It, on the it, other it, hand, like that's where that's like, the usual area where ideas get born, right? But the plan itself was, it was freaking genius, you know, absolute. Absolutely genius. The execution, on the other hand, could be improved. Right. Well, and that's that's the old adage, right, about 
plans are useless, but planning is invaluable. And exactly. Um, it, you know, I always seem to find myself when I'm frustrated in an experience like you had, I'm the guy who's just pissed and I, I, I'm super frustrated and I might just be, it might motivate me to not want to do it again, even though I will, like we all know I will, but there's people around me that are just like, oh, they're all Zen. And they're like, oh, be like water and just go with the flow. And I'm like, how the hell do you do that? It, it, it drives me nuts sometimes. Like I, I am uh, <laughs> envious of that amount of, of patience with things. And I just, I just don't have it. Is it patience or just not paying attention to your own emotion? It, I guess it could be. I mean, it's probably both. I mean, I think some people around me, it is truly patience. Some people just, yeah, like they retreat and don't pay attention. And I, I don't know, like, um, I think it's okay to get frustrated by frustrating things. It's really just about what do you do with that frustration. And sometimes for me, I tend to just like hang on to it and it ruins my entire day. Whereas other people are able to just let go with it. And it, I don't know, maybe that's what I'm more envious of than anything else. Yeah, I can imagine. Um, the thing with me is I can't get mad or really like annoyed to such an extent that I get really frustrated with these kind of things. I actually mm. went to see a therapist once because I just cannot get mad. Yeah. Oh, so you you want to, but you can, or you just really yeah, should. I, there's always like the, this little voice in my head that says, "Why the hell are you making it? Would you make a fuss about this? If like there's so much shit going on, oh. the stuff that you're going through is trivial to other stuff." Gotcha. Gotcha. Yeah, I've talked to to a mental health therapist around the same type of ideas and again they we, we talked about some techniques and uh you know look I'll, I'll be honest they've been marginally helpful for me um i i'm not the the type of person who's gonna rant and rave in public and make a scene i'll probably just sit there and silently stew but <laughs> i wish i could do better and be more um just like I said, like be, be like water and just kind of go with the flow and a lot more patience, but water can be super turbulent as well. Absolutely. So we, we don't really have a topic today. Is there anything on your mind that you want to talk about or need to talk about? No, not specifically. The only thing I need to talk about is nothing at this moment. Uh, today has been one of those days where I feel completely unmotivated to do anything i'm not unproductive i just don't want to do anything at this point if you've been going through this heat wave since forever and now finally we have a day where the temperature is has dropped uh by quite a bit like it's 22 degrees slower than it was yesterday mm-hmm. in fahrenheit and finally this is like one of those days that i don't have to deal with the heat wave like Ugh. you know like that just describes the energy i feel currently <laughs> Well, first of all, audience, let's see if we can help uh, w w with his mood today, right? We'll see. But also, <laughs> I love that you're modeling that it's okay to not be 100% every day. It's okay to have days like this. We, we all do. How do, you, how do you handle this? Like, if you and I weren't talking today, 
what would you do? Would you just phone it in? Because we all need those days from time to time. Yeah. I can try to force myself to do shit and be very productive. But the thing that's going to happen, and I, I'll try to find this research. Um, but Adam Grant, for instance, has been talking about this as well. Like, it's the same with people that try to pursue happiness. Like, I have to be happy. Mm. And the more that you pursue this stuff, the less happy that you get. So the more that I try to force myself to be productive, the less productive I'll get. So I'll just, yeah, I'm going to take this head on. It's okay. Like I'll, tomorrow is another day. Nothing's going to waste if I feel like this for a day, right? Mm-hmm. Everyone has this. I cannot expect myself to be one of those Zen masters that's continuously on and, and it feels super pretentious. Like those people that go, you know, these these Instagram influencers that go to Bali to do yoga and Zen shit. And no, that's not me. Just. I'm okay like this. It's it's okay. We'll see you tomorrow. I I took a workout. I have my uh, red horn friend over here. All good. <laughs> I'll see you tomorrow. Right. What about you? Um. Yeah. I mean, I I realize you you can't force things like this. I will say that <laughs> right or wrong, caffeine's a drug. Um, but it it, it can kickstart me to make a day like this because I'm feeling the same way. To be honest. Um, it is a Monday, it's early, had a long weekend, had a rough Sunday night, etc. But you can't force it. I'm also not the type of person to just pull the covers up over my head and lay on the couch and lose a day and, you know, Netflix binge and wake up tomorrow and say, I'll try again tomorrow. So I, I don't have a great technique for you um, because I'm going to caffeine and get motivated. But what I have found is for me, one interaction, (laughs) one interaction, one question, one topic, one thing can put me on that path to creativity, motivation, etc. And I don't know when that'll come. If it does, if it doesn't, I don't know. But one of the other podcasts that I listen to a lot because, you know, there, there's ours and then there's everything else. Are you podcast cheating on me, Jim? I Well, I, as an audience member, right? So as, as a voyeur, not as an exhibitionist. But uh, it's called The Minimalist. <laughs> and I've been listening to them for years. And one of the things they talk a lot about, and I'm not going to get it on my, my high horse around minimalism, but is when people try and solve their happiness issues with things like oh, if I just have that couch in my apartment, I'm going to be happier. Or if I just go to this vacation destination, or if I just solve this thing or buy this thing or or do this thing, I'm going to be happy. And, and it's hard to rationalize that happiness and fulfillment and job satisfaction, all that's an internal thing. Like you're not going to be able to fill that with something external. No. Do you know the Kano model? I do. It's it's kind of like this, right? It, initially, it feels like, yes, this is exactly what I need. And then it becomes the standard. And then like the, the endorphins just die out. And like the, the whole initial joy that you get from this, from this either the new couch or whatever, it dies off. And then you need a new boost. Yeah, it's that little dopamine blast. 
Exactly. And those things are very temporary and they create this pattern of needing more and more and bigger and bigger dopamine blasts to have the same effect. And it's something I, I've I've thought about and you know struggle with from time to time, but I have simplified many aspects of my life and that's that's helped. And one thing, and, and I put this on LinkedIn last week, and I it will tell you this if it helps today, is one of the best pieces of advice I got over, over the years is you don't have to solve every problem. You just have to solve one. Yeah. And just see if you can do one thing today, either for yourself or for somebody else. And that's what was really bothering me at the time, because I saw problems and opportunity everywhere, and I just wanted to do it all. And when I only did 10 things, I felt like a failure. And somebody that is much smarter than me reflected back, dude, you're crushing it. And I said, how, how do you feel? How do you feel that? And they, they reflected some things back. And I'm like, all I was seeing was all the shit I wasn't doing. And it was that positive reframing that, that helps. What is it that makes you feel like you're a failure? Well, for me, I think simply put, it's it's looking around and seeing all the opportunity or the undone things or the, you know, whatever that is. I'm looking to the future at what's not done or what's possible. And there are many people who only look at the past and only see accomplishments. And I think it's a you need a good balance. Oh, well, makes sense. Speaking of stuff uh, that might not go well, apparently I send out the wrong audience link. Now we've got Koala Bear waiting to join in. Oh. So we just admit them and see who it I'd is. I'd love to chat with a Koala Bear. <laughs> Let's see. Hello, Koala Bear. We send out the wrong link. Now you're in the actual recording. We have no clue who you are, but we would love to have a chat with you. If you are there. This this could be a, a really good thing, a really scary thing. It's like the early days of COVID when, you know, Zoom was letting people in <laughs> and you just never knew who's going to pop in your meeting. I had a pair of naked feet pop into a meeting. Really? Yeah. This was early, early days of the pandemic. I was on Zoom with with uh, a group of people in, in that were all – it was work-related. It wasn't my meeting. And somebody came in, and all it was was just a gentleman putting his feet on the camera. That's all you could see. There's nothing pornographic about it. It, it was hilarious. High quality. How did people respond? Somebody booted him within like 30 seconds, but it, it was – we laughed about it for the next hour. All right. That's interesting. Speaking of interesting, Koala Bear, you're still Can, here. Am I Can not I allowed hear? to be here? Sorry. No, you are definitely allowed to be here. I just sent out the wrong link, and now you're part of the actual recording. Usually, audience has no like talking access, and now you're a guest rather than in the Sorry. audience. Sorry. So shall I just drop and then... Um rejoin or something like when you send out the correct no you can you can stay here if you want to you can have a chat do you have a question for us i'd i'd love to to take a live question 
Uh, well, I actually, I'm I'm the person that was has been recently made redundant, and I've been sending messages. Oh no! Yeah, yeah, because I got told um, today our whole chapter got made redundant. Scrum Master chapter. Ugh, I hate to hear that. I've been following that, and um, you've been getting great comments, so I haven't waded in. But first of all, you're not being made redundant. That is one big thing. Someone isn't seeing value in a certain job family, but I don't want anybody to take it personal, like especially you in this case of being redundant. But how it was any reason given or um, explanation? Yeah, they they put that in the redundant the, the letter, you know, and it was um, mostly to do with establishing like uh, clearer accountabilities and they've, I mean, I don't think they value modern ways of working because they've hired a Mm. program manager as well recently and um, the redeployment roles is actually a delivery manager managing like releases and the whole entire delivery process. So... Mm. So before diving into the whole, whole process, um, A, thank you for being so open about this uh, and mm-hmm. to, to share this. Um, B, it's it's gorgeous to hear your accent. Cheers. Uh, it's my, rough, though. <laughs> I'm shy. I'm not going to turn on my camera. Sorry about that. <laughs> <laughs> All good. I, I messed this up, but I really enjoy that you're here. But my main question is, how are you doing? How are you feeling? I'm actually feeling very relieved, you know. I mean, they sent the email on Friday um, at 4.30 and then we all, like, spoke to each other. Hey, what's this? It sounds, like, suspicious. And then, you know, over the weekend I took some time to process, you know, all the anger, the frustration, the betrayal as well. And now that I had the conversation, I feel relieved, you know. So in general, I'm good, you know, and I'm feeling hopeful. So thank you for asking. Of course. That clarity might be what is helping you feel relieved. Um, I've found that this is true for myself too. Not knowing something bothers me. But once I know it, even if it's bad news or not what I wanted to hear, it's easier. It's better. And... A friend of mine was at an organ. Well, he's still at the organization and they did something around a year ago that you just described. They basically took in an entire job family of Agilists. And this is not one of the the biggies that made the, all the headlines and stuff last year. But, and I said, what is their rationale? And he was very frustrated with the leadership decision, but basically in their case, it came down to, we need less people coordinating and more people doing. So they solved the redundancy of the people like product ownership, product managers, scrum masters, uh, other type of roles with just more developers. And they're like, we'll figure all that crap out. Like those people are smart. They can figure it all out for themselves. Unpredict or pretty predictably it, it went terribly. And <laughs> Five months in, they're pivoting back to, oh, we got to figure that crap out because we're losing developers. Nobody wants to do this. And there, there's other issues that are coming up. 
And I, I've seen this type of thing play out multiple times. How do you feel like coming back from our professional scrum or scrum trainer perspective? How do you feel like questions to both of you? How do you feel like scrum values like courage and openness and respect come to play in, in a scenario like this? There was a lack of openness and respect. You know, they didn't really value what we had to offer. You know, and I feel like for the last few months there was a lack of transparency as well. They excluded us from conversations and I regularly, you know, have catch-ups with the person that made the decision and I was very open about, you know, the things that I've been observing and um, I don't think um, he was open with me. It's quite, mm. so it, and yeah, it's it's quite sad, you know. So even if I get redeployed in that in a different role, um, he essentially like broke the trust, eroded the trust, right? Exactly. So how do you repair that, you know? Uh, yeah, that's a great point. That's a really good point. And it's really hard to do if it even can be done. Uh, Coming back to my my personal forever rant, does it make you feel like a person or more of a resource if you you're being treated like this? Oh, that's obvious. It's a resource, right? Like you know, exactly. So, he, so anyone on, who's like, listening who's still meant- look, he sorry, sorry, <laughs> he. You know, when we had the conversation, it was very mechanical because he read it. You know, read the letter out to me and. And then um, I have never seen him, like, being that professional and very, I don't know, I've I just never seen that side of him. And then he messaged me on Slack afterwards and he apologised. He said, sorry, uh, this is business and I'm here to help or if you need me. And I was like, that's, I was so confused, you know. Yeah, the whole this is business thing. We talked about that with Trisha Broderick and, you know, that kind of comes back to the the uh, godfather mentality. You know, it's not personal. Of course it is. It is personal. And just because it's in the business setting doesn't mean you can't be a human being and have empathy and, and be genuine. Because what, I, what I'm hearing in what you just described is if you're seeing a new side of someone and maybe it's the uber professional – prepared uh, side of somebody for the first time when they're having a separation type of conversation with that, that's pretty telling first of all in itself. And yeah, that just reeks of not being genuine. And, you know, I, I don't want anybody to, who's listening to this to think that I'm always an apologist for agilists and like everybody deserves their, their role and their job and all that. But, um, I know from things you've shared in, on the Discord channel and all that, that, you know, you have a, an amazing mindset and are trying to do things for the right reasons. And I, my guess is people value that. But I've had people come to me like, I think my scrum master sucks. And I'm like, tell me about it. And we talk for a while. And they're like, I agree with you. I think they suck too. So part of this is many good people get rolled up with ineffective people or people who are maybe not prepared for the role. And that is really the sad state of affairs. And that's true in, in any role, right? The uh, 
a few bad apples spoil it for everyone. And that's why it takes a practiced eye and approach when they're like, we're not getting what we need from this group of people. It's like, okay, well, first of all, let's separate. Let's not use such a broad brush here and let's figure out what is it we're not getting? Who are we not getting it from? How can we coach, support, mentor? um, And maybe elimination is right. Uh, Coming back to the first part where you mentioned he became very professional. I don't think he became very professional. He became a dickhead in a corporate setting who's trying to look like he's professional, which he's not. It's incredibly, it's handled incredibly unprofessionally. If you send out an email and invite everyone to a, a fairly obvious meeting, like if you, what's your name, uh, Koala Bear? It makes you a little bit easier to ad- address than Koala Bear. <laughs> Good. You know, we're talking about a serious matter here, and Koala Bear lights up the tone, I think, you know. Exactly. <laughs> but my real name is Tina, that's what I was going to Tina, all right. No, it's all Thank good. You. No, but Tina has been sharing like this story on the Discord. Like, it has a build-up to that moment, and it was fairly obvious what was going to happen. So it was... Open, unopen. You know, we all knew what was going to happen. You told us what was going to happen. But the way the, the build-up to that moment has, has been handled incredibly unprofessionally, and especially if you come back to the, the story that, we, that we, you were just telling, that he came back to you saying that he's there for to, to help. He's not. He's not helping you whatsoever. He just laid you off. He's not helping you. And maybe... There's a, you know, there's a difference between a corporate mindset and a, and a personal mindset and a business mindset, a professional, whatever you want. Uh, but if you're really there to help, start asking people, what can I do? Yeah. How can I actually help? Instead of making the decisions and then dump those decisions onto the people who are being affected in this way. Yeah. I mean- this really is a good Monday. <laughs> <laughs> right. I um. You know, I, I have to try and see the world through through his eyes as well, right? He's under a lot of pressure, and I I almost feel like um, he he because this this I guess this business it's very it's been from what I've observed is very like reactive. Um, um what uh, the problems are actually upstream I think he's also part of the problem as well I think that they haven't really clearly helped the teams understand what it is and define the definition of done right and Mm. and priorities keep changing and he's part of that problem he said oh it's it's you know it's always been something that we've agreed to with a client but how come the teams don't know about it you know so it's I don't think they'll acknowledge that. I don't think he'll acknowledge that, you know, that he's part of the yeah. problem. It feels like a very traditional regressive mindset. Like you're trying to map waterfall or scrum yes. in an existing waterfall environment. Yeah. That's, that's you know, that was signed as part of the contract, even though they say, hey, we want an agile approach, but it's very traditional, unfortunately. Mm. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, one of the I was just talking to someone over the weekend. Actually, I had a couple interesting interactions over the weekend, maybe that relate to this. And one was around 
a let's just call them a scrum master. That, that that's not their actual title, but that's what they're doing. They're helping teams and people um, get more of the right work done through a variety of coaching and mentorship techniques. But when the people were asking them, like, you must do this thing, they would say, why Why would we do that thing? We're focused on this other thing that's got this deadline and, and this, this value case and for this customer segment, et cetera. Well, because it's on the plan and because that's what I have to do. So it kind of created this, uh, what I call the Hunger Games, right, where different people are trying to create conflict and win versus their peers. And when the team or a couple teams in this case is at the center of that, they just feel like they're pushed and pulled in a million directions and they're never pleasing anybody. And they're always late with everything. But the more, the more concerning thing for me is they, they lack transparency. Like you were just talking about, they don't understand the why behind the things and when they ask questions about, well, just because you want something doesn't mean we should drop what we're doing and work on your thing. People don't, they, they struggle to answer those questions. They can't tell them why. They're like, well, it's on the plan or it's on the 2023 roadmap or it's, I was told by so-and-so I would get this. Or they would name drop some executive and say, you know, somebody wants this and it's, they send an email about it. It's like, okay, but none of those matter to us whatsoever. We, every single person that wants something from us could give those same answers. Yeah. How do do these things help us and, and contribute to our goals that we're trying to achieve, whether that's the spring goal or the product goal or the product vision or the company vision, I don't care. How does this help get to value? Yeah. And one of the things I'm helping a group do right now is define value. And I've been doing a lot of thinking and just Googling and research about it to kind of find some visuals and simple uh, things to illustrate some of these points. But one of the biggest problems is this group has a very project-centered mindset. And we talked on our last call last week. It's not that projects aren't a thing. Of course, projects are a thing, but they're, they bring with them some very difficult uh, challenges. One of which, the biggest of which may be their temporary nature. Projects are temporary. And if you listen to the book, Sense and Respond, which I think is amazing, it should be on everyone's must read list. It's probably on my Mount Rushmore of product minded books. It's like projects and the agile contracting and all the things around projects value getting to done instead of achieving an outcome, which is based on value. And it's like, that is such a simple sounding, but difficult thing to help some group shift to. And it's, I don't know if, if this applies or if anybody has any thoughts on that. Yeah, Marge asks in the in the chat is unfortunately only works as long as teams and the product owners' decisions are being accepted. Otherwise, it's something it's just something people want or someone else wants it. How would you challenge such a mindset? 
Tina, how has this been within your organization? I have my answer. I have my picture perfect Valhalla kind of scrum scenario. Uh, but how was it, were these kind of things handled within your organization? They weren't handled, right? I, I mean, like we've, it's, it's the contract actually clearly states that, hey, we have to deliver this it's, and it's quite fixed. You know, we haven't been able to also do any sort of incremental releases, you know, to any real customers. So it's a very big bang approach, right? Even when they say, hey, we've got to deliver this, I don't even think that the team understands, you know, what that is, you know, let alone then starting to ask why. Oh, because it says in the contract, <laughs> you know. Yeah. Uh-huh. So, uh-huh. Makes sense. I don't know what And what do. type like, of. I, I actually wouldn't know what to do in that scenario, you know. We're almost trying to fit agility in in this sort of um system and it and it's already broken right yes yeah that 100 correct it, that is a very difficult place to force agility when you have because what i'm hearing you say tina and, and correct us is it's contractual which means it's usually fixed yes. fixed scope fixed budget fixed deadline but be agile, like make your teams be extremely agile and all that inside of those three fixed constraints. Yeah. Just talk to the buzzword talk. Yeah. And one of the things I'm wondering is, were there any metrics in place, team in your organization to see how things were going in that type of scenario when something is contractual with a client? No, there wasn't any metrics. I mean, the plan that we kind of had, it was just the teams couldn't stick with it. We've overcommitted, overpromised things. Um, mm-hmm. We, we, you know, I tried. We tried to get the teams to also some of the teams to also um, present back to, you know, the client to show, hey, this is what we've done in the sprint to show progress, right, and get some feedback. But I don't think that. Could we could tie that back to the plan if that makes any sense, you know? And mm. the, and the isn't a fair yeah. assumption that the people who make these decisions and they are selling these like the solution solutions to the client are completely disengaged with the actual development? Uh probably. Like, do they have an active role within your team? I mean, the. The person that made the decision to fire me is very close to, you know, everything, making, you know, deciding what feeds down to the teams. Yeah. So it's more like force feeding, creating that spoon feeding them features to build. So creating feature factories rather than creating self-managing teams that are inspired, empowered. They know what to do. They're capable of doing stuff. And this is where you see a lot of organizations really struggle to give away that power and the decision-making authority and the the empowerment from management and people who are traditional more in like the actual management and managing the, the work. And now those decisions should be made within the teams by the developers and by the product owners. And that's where they struggle to let go. Yeah, we don't we don't have like real product people, you know. I mean, my my understanding is that most of what product people do is in discovery, right? 
Um, but we we didn't don't do the product people. We don't do any of that, right? It's all like trying to create these plans and um, with the teams and telling them actually assigning tasks to people as well. It's it's broken. Yeah. I don't Micromanage know. Micromanage like, everything. Sorry, oh. go on. No, that's okay. No, it's, it's a very common anti-pattern. You know, if I'm going to ask you what you're going to eat, like a very e- simple question, what are you going to eat in half a year from now and give me an exact detailed plan, who's going to buy what, etc., etc. You're like, huh? The hell kind of dumb question is this? Yet this is what organizations are expecting their teams to build. Like, Give me an exact recipe for the entire half a year. We know exactly what we're going to eat. I don't know. Maybe my I discover a new dish in the, in the meanwhile. Maybe I find some new ingredients. Maybe I don't want to eat pizza in half a year from now. I don't know. But we have to discover that as we go, as we progress. And maybe the week before, we'll decide what we're going to eat. But still, it doesn't make sense to create a plan for an entire half a year or to force feed your developers what to build and how to build it. Uh, I had this developer once in a sprint review where uh, where there was was there was this I think it was a project manager and he was telling their the developers within the team and the uh, project manager in this case was a stakeholder and he was exactly telling them how to build blah 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 and one of those stakeholders uh, one of the developers sorry was so fed up with this guy he just picked up his laptop put it in in the, the manager's lap if you know so well how to do this you go do it but don't keep ordering me around. If you know, you do it. Yeah, one of the... Powerful statement. Yeah, go. One of the things that I'm going to be talking about here within the hour is if we have a project mindset and we are kind of, like to use your words, force-feeding teams work, we might only be able to measure activities and outputs, which are pretty low-quality things to, to measure. You know, but it's not that we can't, gain a a handle on progress and see how we're doing. And then if the progress isn't in the right direction or delivering the value or fast enough or too fast or any of these things, then we can still react to it. But we, people like us tend to want to move to outcomes like the why, which is the why outcomes feels like this really difficult thing to define, but I have found it to be pretty simple. Like, why are we doing this thing? And not just because somebody told us to or because it's like, what is the why behind the request? And then what will be different? Like if we are insanely successful with this thing, what will people have? What new capability will they have? What product will exist? What new uh, uh, opportunity will be created? What problem will be solved? And if people can answer those two questions, we it's normally pretty straightforward to define some outcomes that we can also keep an eye on and measure and see how we're doing, uh, et cetera. And one last thing to get your, your thoughts on both of you is many of us have probably heard the term VUCA, which is volatile, uncertain, complex, and ambiguous, which is, you know, the modern state of knowledge work in the complex world. But there's one something called SUSO, S-U-S-O, which is stable, understood, simple, and obvious. And I think what the environment Tina is describing and maybe a project mindset or when certainty is very high and we know what we're building and we just need to go do it and we can outsource it to many different teams, SUSO is kind of the opposite of VUCA. And it's a spectrum, right? So you might not be 
in one area. Have have either of you even heard of that? Because I hadn't heard of it until I don't know last week sometime. Yeah, I've heard of that. I usually te- mostly use uh, Fafo. Fuck around and find out. <laughs> Let's just try something and see where we end up. And you know the, the whole empirical approach anyway. Then you get to VUCA and the, whatever you mentioned, and then you get FAFO, and you get these nice little abbreviations. Right. What about you, Atina? No, I, I haven't heard of any of those. I've heard of VUCA. That's popular, but not the other the other ones that you mentioned. Yeah. <laughs> and the, the big takeaway is where your work sits and your goals and objectives sit on that spectrum is going to influence a lot of things. How you write a contract around it, how you measure it, how you fund it, how you work, what type of people you need, how much command and control can you have versus sensing and responding. Because it's not that any of those things are bad. It's when there's a mismatch between the nature of the work, the people and the outcome and the crap you're doing. Yeah. I mean, you're not going to create an entire scrum team to build an Ikea cabinet or to, to get you a sandwich. You know, there is not sufficient complexity to really employ a, a scrum team to do so, or to use scrum and the framework uh, to get that job done. So it doesn't make sense. And that's where I see a lot of organizations start the whole journey or implementation, if you will, in the wrong fashion. They do not ask themselves, what is what is the issue that we're trying to, to fix here? What are we trying to achieve? How much complexity do we have? Do we have any complexity? What kind of options do we have to get that problem out of our way or to get to a state where we want to be? And how might Scrum fit? Usually it's now, we're just going to do Scrum because it sounds nice. Because I saw these people on LinkedIn mention Scrum. So I think that's a good idea. No, think this stuff true. And what kind of implications this has for the design of your organization, like the structure and the people and where they're mapped, et cetera, et cetera. Uh, but this is rarely a proper discussion that I see happening. Usually someone that makes a decision and now you all get to run because I have made the decision for you to go and do Scrum. Yeah. And I think that's, that's what Tina was referencing earlier is the gap between the people doing the work and the customers in the work is too great. And that's, a pattern I see everywhere. In fact, I I was uh, telling a client that just two weeks ago is we one of my overall suggestions because they were saying like, can you give us a sneak peek of your observations and next steps? I'm like, yeah, one of them is get the teams closer to the work, like you, closer to the work, closer to the customers, having more of a two way conversation, more of a collaboration instead of being order takers because they were treating them like engines that you just shovel gasoline or fuel or coal into and you you get output and yeah you might get output but all too often it was not meeting the needs of the market um i i know we only have a few minutes left so i want to come back to marge's question the second half of that is basically if you're if your team's decisions are not being accepted how do you challenge that mindset Um, Because then it just defaults to, well, so-and-so asked for this. And I think it starts with the team needs to prove or at least um, be given the opportunity that they can make such decisions. And I think that's that's kind of the the chicken and the egg thing is like, can we just give people 
trust and empowerment and and all these things, or do they have to earn it? And I typically default to let's give them a lot of leeway and wide guardrails and let's ask them and hear from them and then adapt. But many organizations take the opposite approach. Like, no, 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 no. They're not capable of doing that. They're not smart enough. They're not aware enough. And then you, you slowly have to chip away at that over months or years. And I think it has a lot to do with the, the people that you're working with as well. Like the type of people, if you have introverted people, they're afraid of, um, doing wrong or messing something up or whatsoever, they probably need some guidance to get to such a state. So it really, the, 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 the nice consultant answer, once again, it really depends on <laughs> such an, so many factors. Like I've seen organizations from oh, just overnight say, from now on, you're empowered, you make the decisions, good luck. And people don't even know where to get the information from to make these decisions. And like, I have not been trained for this. I don't know how to handle this. And they almost get like decision-making fatigue because they have all of a sudden they're completely uh, working in a completely different way than they ever have been doing before. And now they have to be accountable for their decisions. They need to make all these stuff up. They they've never done before. So how do you get to such a state? And some people just need those guide uh, guarding reels and the same for managers to let go of control. Yeah, to get to such a mindset where you're like, hmm, maybe I should not be making this decision. And that is a follow-up question. So um, how to get to an environment of listening. And I think that's a tricky one. Um, I like the concept that comes from improv comedy, the yes and principle. So just build and build and build and build. And only have if you have like a really large area of ideas, start chipping away. So maybe this is not going to be a good idea. Maybe this, nah, maybe we should do this in a different way, but still let's say for a first hour and a half, two hours of brainstorming, you just, it's just yes. And just build ideas until you have a cloud of ideas and then take stuff out. But if you immediately jump to, no, it's going to be a sucky idea to do this. And I did disagree with this and we're not going to do that. People won't feel very much inclined to say, I have a good idea. Here's my suggestion. Maybe we should do something with this. If I think, no, that manager, Jim, is just going to say no, and he hates all my ideas, I don't even want to come up to you with my idea. Yeah, I I worked for far too long in an environment like our audience question seems to be indicating, which is I was very creative and wanted to bring a lot of new ideas and challenge the status quo and all that, but being met with not now or that's never going to happen or that's not how we do it or, you know, that's you know, we're not that type of company or that's too uh, cutting edge for us to consider, et cetera, et cetera. I just started to shut down and it happened pretty quickly. And then guess what? Leadership, like a year later, was frustrated with not just me, with everyone. Like, why are we not getting any new ideas? And why are we not doing this? And why are we not? And I'm like, are you freaking kidding me? Because you shut everybody down and say, we're too busy working to experiment. We're too busy working to try something new. And w- what got us here and successful is just going to keep us going. And they were very frustrated when they they wanted creativity and ingenuity and innovation, et cetera. And the audience, you know, meaning the people, didn't want to do it. And so my my answer to this audience question is, do you even need 
to get permission to do something like so you you our audience member frames it as listening and i think it could be framed as experiments if you shift could you shift your response instead of could we could we do this to can i try or i just experimented with this for the last three weeks and this is what happened like it's kind of challenging. What is a real guard guardrail or constraint and what is an invit, what, what some people might call an invisible constraint. So can you just do some things and then reflect actual outcomes instead of trying to create support for that new, new thing? Yeah. Slowly we got to wrap up because it's almost the end of this episode. Um, Tina, I hope it has been like a little bit, therapeutic to be here and to join as our mystery koala yes i know we enjoyed it thanks for having me it's a bit spontaneous i thought i was just gonna um listen in on something but i had to participate so that was interesting well you don't have to but i'm glad you did yeah i'm glad you did i feel like bob ross it's a happy little accident because i'm the one who made the the boo-boo here and put the wrong link in and yeah uh i do that was me Oh, okay. So I hope it was a little cathartic. Um, I've been there. I've seen many, many other people be there. There is light at the end of the tunnel. It's a bright new Monday morning with with nothing but possibility in front of you. And I know you've got some good support on the Discord channel um, around you as well. Yeah. If it can do anything for you in the in the progress, maybe finding a new job or whatsoever new position, let us know as well. That's what the community is for. Uh, you wouldn't be the first who found a new environment through the through the community yeah thanks for being so supportive guys i really appreciate that it's amazing that's what we're here for jim tina love this discussion once again it's definitely not something that we planned for actually we planned for nothing i'm glad it ended up like this enjoy your day guys all right bye see you that is all for today thank you for listening If you liked this episode, let us know by hitting that like button, share it with friends and colleagues, sharing a message on LinkedIn, joining our warm and welcoming Discord community, or attend recordings as a virtual audience. You can find all the relevant links in the show notes. We hope you'll tune back in for the next episode of the Mastering Agility podcast.